Hello, I'm Chrissy Parkinson. Welcome to my journey through the world of drinks without alcohol. After 18 years as head of wine for a restaurant group, I became co-founder of the specialist know and low drinks consultancy Brimful Drinks. I passionately believe that all drinks, whether they have alcohol or not, should look beautiful and taste great. If you care about low and no drinks, this podcast is for you. I am your alcohol-free sommelier. Did you know that the first dealcoholization plant for wine was built in Germany in 1908 by the Carl Jung Company? They still produce alcohol-free wine to this day, so this is a category with a lot of history to build on. More recently, 1985 marked the launch of two more well-known dealcoholized wines, Iceberg and Ariel. Those are both still going strong as well. Early in the 21st century, some major wine producers, including Torres, Lindemans and McGuigan, started to sell dealcoholized wines under their own labels. It was driven, of course, by growing demand for alcohol-free, but it was a brave step. If they got it wrong, it could have damaged their brand. Clearly, there was an increasing confidence in the product. Recently, however, most of the newer dealcoholized wine brands on the market have been created by companies that don't produce wine themselves. They specialize in alcohol-free. Oddbird, Thompson & Scott and Wildlife Botanicals are three such outfits. They source wine from existing wineries, then have it dealcoholized all to their own specification. So, at last, we have reached a point where the buyer or consumer is starting to have some choice if they want a wine that doesn't have alcohol. But it isn't all rosy. A lot of people are very dismissive about dealcoholized wine, particularly in the hospitality industry. So I set out to investigate and got some very interesting feedback. First up, Francoise Mathis, Commercial Director of Indigo Wine. Like many of my pairs, I tend to shun on those type of wines simply because, well, we don't think about them as wine, but also we have very little positive experience when we try them. It's always about quality and the value for money quality ratio. But when you have a wine that is made and you remove the alcohol, the question is, is it still a wine or has it lost its very nature? Our producers tend to be very small and produce very interesting wine with a sense of place. So if you tell me that there are some non-alcoholic wines out there that can tell the same story, yes, we'd love to speak to them, but um, I tend to be a little bit doubtful that <laughs> it's going to be an easy find. Next, I asked consultant, trainer and writer Harry Crowther of Grain to Grape about his experiences. Honestly, I haven't tried many because I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm a wino and I do love a drop. So no, not many. And I will say that the ones predominantly that we do see are sort of from more of the more of the bulk producers. I think the, the problem with dealcoholizing wine is the whole reverse osmosis element to it, and that obviously strips the wine back. So, in my experience, I haven't seen too many too many producers that have, have got it right. Lastly, I spoke to Imma Canavo, wine buyer and head sommelier of Oblix. 
first, I think, is the wording itself. It doesn't sound really appealing. And um, secondly, I think the guests have the perception of uh, when you have a de-alkalized de wine, it's just a grape juice, like very sweet grape juice kind of, and with a lot of sugar, people doesn't really know and believe in it. So even though I want to list and I want to really work with those products, there is always a kind of a, a doubt. It doesn't really sell. Clearly, there's a lot of disappointment in this category, not to mention a degree of scepticism that good quality dealk wine can ever exist. With this in mind, it's time for our first tech spot. I asked my colleague James Morgan to explain how the dealcoholization process works to see if that sheds some light on the problems. Firstly, wines uh, that are going to be dealkalized go through the usual winemaking process, including fermentation and aging. And then the resulting wine is uh, then dealkalized. And there are three main techniques currently used to do this. The next two minutes are quite technical, but worth the effort. So, uh, firstly, there's vacuum distillation in which the aromas are extracted under vacuum at approximately 30 degrees. Then the alcohol is removed uh, in a second pass through the distillation column before the aromas are blended back into the dealkalized liquid. The second technique is um, similar, but it's called spinning cone column distillation, which also uses uh, a vacuum. But this differs from the other vacuum distillation in a number of ways. So after the wine enters to the column, passes over a number of spinning cones which disperse the wine into a very fine film. This fine film means that the process of capturing the volatile aromas uh, is more efficient and actually faster. They're captured by steam which is piped through the column and then the extracted aromas are separated before the liquid is passed through the column again to remove the alcohol and then similarly the liquid is reunited with the previously separated aromas. It's said to be better because of the spinning technology. The wine is in a very fine film, which means the aromas are easier to capture. It's faster and they're only in the distillation column for about 25 seconds. And then the other technique that's widely used is sometimes known as the membrane method, but it is also known as reverse osmosis. And the way this works is the wine's pumped through a very fine filter at high pressure and water and alcohol, which are the smallest molecules in the wine, are able to pass through the filter, leaving behind the flavours, colour and tannins. Okay, then the alcohol is separated from the water by distillation before that water is then reunited with the flavour, colour and tannins. Thanks, James. So, given the poor perceptions of quality, I set out to find some ways to fix dealcoholized wine. Our first fix comes from well-known wine writer, speaker and buyer Matthew Jukes. I don't think wine will ever be successful in this field. I just I can't see it happening. I've seen a lot of very, very clever people attacking this subject and coming up with largely hollow, slightly sweet slightly simple products. So I just don't, th I don't think they should really continue along this track. 
Okay, so this isn't exactly a fix. Matthew thinks dealcoholized wine shouldn't even exist. Hmm. Perhaps I should have mentioned that he's also the creator of his own rather lovely non-alcoholic drink. But he does make an excellent point. If you can't do it well, maybe you shouldn't do it at all. On a more cheerful note, I spoke to Amanda Thompson. She's the creator of Naughty Dealcoholized Sparkling Chardonnay, which has been a massive hit in markets around the world. I asked her why it is so hard to get dealcoholized wine right and how she managed it. I think it's hard for a number of reasons. Um, I think initially you've got a two-step process because you're making the wine first, then you've got the whole new step, huge step of the dealcoholization process. I think from a philosophical point of view, I'm not convinced that makers historically had given the same love, care, attention, and in my mind, obsession to creating the perfect alcohol-free wine. And, and therefore the gap was wide open for me to do that. This is more like it. Amanda's approach is love, care and attention. In other words, our fix number two is to put your heart and soul into getting it right and pay attention to the details. Moving on, Harry pointed out earlier that most of the alcohol-free wines he'd seen were the equivalent of entry-level wines. I asked him whether he'd be more interested in the category if he could buy dealcoholized versions of classic quality wines such as Chablis or Rioja. Yes, definitely. I think that's a really interesting question. I think what it does, if it's done right, I think it's okay. Basically, I think if it's, you know, if it's Chablis, particularly if it's Chablis, because the, the quality system is, is, is more of a sense of place. And I, I, I personally, I wouldn't like to see any crew vineyards necessarily being fruit being used for that because i just think that that should be reserved for wine but certainly you know say petty chablis fruit and the like should yeah absolutely why not and i think what it will do eventually it will bring credibility to the non-alcoholic you know brand de-alcoholized wine because now we've got words that are synonymous with quality wine um in in that you know that, that you can now put into that category so premiumize and integrate into the appellation system could be our fix number three. Harry certainly thinks this is the way ahead. He could have a point. Imagine if you could buy dealcoholized Barolo or alcohol-free Cloudy Bay. With those names on the label, and especially if there were regulations setting out production requirements, this could be an absolute game changer. I'd certainly want to put them on any wine list I was writing. But it hasn't happened yet, and I suspect it's still a very long way off. After the break, we'll hear fix number four. I'd like to say a big thank you to Nine Elms, our sponsor for this episode. Nine Elms number 18 Ruby Velvin is an excellent new type of non-alk drink that works equally well as an aperitif or with a meal. It has lovely red fruit and herbaceous flavours, reminiscent of a dry red vermouth. There's real complexity too, so it's an ideal match for many different foods. Nine Elms Ruby also works as a vibrant and refreshing spritz served on ice with a splash of tonic. It's one of my favourites and I've always got some in the fridge at home. 
Thanks, guys. Nearly all dealcoholized wines contain added grape must or sugar. Some, however, go a bit further. If you read the back labels carefully, you may come across the term flavoring. It's very discreet and no specific ingredients are mentioned. But what if they were? Some of the new wave of producers, such as Wildlife Botanicals, are proudly adding fruit or herb extracts to their dealcoholized wine with good results. This could be fix number four. Here's James again. Well, I think that, you know, it's always going to be a problem if winemakers just stay attached to trying to make wine like wine. I mean, the thing about dealkalized wine is that they're putting it through an, an industrial process, which is denaturing the wine to a large extent. And, you know, there's something quite, you know, unromantic about that in contrast to the tradition of winemaking. You might as well utilise different technologies and different things at your disposal. It does not have to be all industrial in order to produce a superior product and a product that perhaps has a little bit more resonance with the traditional experience of, of drinking wine. The problem with all of these techniques is that there is always, to a greater or lesser degree, a loss in balance and mouthfeel and probably some loss of flavour. Some other drinks have tried to address this by introducing things like chilli or pepper, which replicate to an extent the warmth that you get from alcohol, but to my knowledge, no winemakers are using similar techniques. Uh, there are some wine producers who are blending in other additions, things like herbal extracts and things, which can help to fill holes that are left, you know, in the dealkalization process. <clears throat> I think more can be done on that front by working with, you know, spices and, and herbs and flavours to build a satisfying wine alternative. This concept is the one that interests me the most. After all, there is a very long tradition of adding natural flavourings to wine in order to create vermouth, not to mention the use of oak or resin. I'm really struck by how many flavouring ingredients grow in and around vineyards. I've spotted apricots, apples, olives, nuts and figs, to mention just a few. It's also common for herbs to occur naturally around the vines. A great example is the Garrigue of southern France. This usually includes lavender, sage, thyme, rosemary, juniper and cistus, amongst others. Wines from that region often carry these flavours quite naturally, as the aromatic oils of the plants are deposited onto the grapes as they grow. Why not use botanicals gathered from around the vineyard to supplement the structure and flavour of dealcoholized wines? I put this point to James. Well, it's a really good point, Chris. And I think that, you know, your suggestion is could go a long way to, to solving the problem. But why not go even further? Why not skip making a wine altogether and simply create an alternative? After all, that's exactly what Matthew Jukes has done. I've always, um, as you know, Christine, firsthand, um, enjoyed a few drinks. Um, but the public persona might look like I do that every day of the week. The reality, the truth uh, behind that is that I, you know, save up for special occasions when I'm out and about. And on those days off, in inverted commas, um, I, I don't drink. Um, I don't feel the need to have a drink. Um, 
to swallow everything would be foolish, I think, um, particularly with my advancing years. And so um, I have a few days off. And, and that led me to think, you know, what do you do on your days off? What should people be thinking about? What their habits are, etc. And everyone has had a go at taking alcohol out of wine over the years. And unfortunately, I've never liked any of those products. And they're not really wine anymore. And as you know, when you strip alcohol out of a wine, um, it somewhat pulls the sort of skeleton out of the middle of the body. Um, and you're left with a rather sort of flabby, um, often quite sweet drink, because you have to replace that volume of flavor or that volume of alcohol with something. And, and of course, you replace it with sugar generally. So I just don't like the flavor of the products. And I've, I've actually never written one up in my Daily Mail column. And then down the track, I ended up creating some, a new category of drinks. Matthew's drinks, Duke's Cordialities, are based on apple cider vinegar, and yet they drink very like wine. This then is our fifth and final fix. Create an alternative which is not wine, but has similarities. I'll be exploring some of these alternatives in future episodes, so we'll come back to Duke's Cordialities then. Let's recap our five solutions to the problem of dealcoholized wine. Number one, courtesy of Matthew Jukes, is just don't do it. Leave the alcohol in, give up on trying to make an alcohol-free wine. Number two, from Amanda Thompson, is to obsess over your product and make dealcoholized wine with the same attention to detail as alcoholic wine, exactly as she does with Naughty. Our third fix from Harry Crowther is premiumization and, eventually, alcohol-free wine produced under comparable rules to the AOP system. Fix number four, enhance dealcoholized wine with botanicals to build structure and flavor, especially if they come from the estate where the wine is made. And finally, fix number five, do what Matthew Jukes has done and create an alternative that isn't wine at all, but tastes and feels similar. So there you have it. Five possible solutions to the problem of dealc wine. Some of these fixes are already happening, but there's still a massive opportunity to innovate. With so much demand for alcohol-free drinks, it seems certain that all these solutions and more will be with us before long. On that note, I'd like to leave the last word to Francoise Mathis. But we, we have to face the facts. The demand is there. I mean, the, the numbers are quite staggering. I put all those numbers in the table just to, to reflect on the enormity of the market changes because between consumer pattern change and that huge demographic of customers that will never become one consumers, if we find the right products, yes, it's probably something we'll consider in the future. A huge thank you to my guests this week. Matthew Jukes, Amanda Thompson, Im McCannaveau, Francoise Mathis and Harry Crowther. Thanks also to James Morgan and to David Monteith at Rogue Spirit Podcasting Solutions. In the next episode, I'll be looking at the distribution of low and no drinks and why it's so different to the distribution of alcohol. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow or subscribe to the Alcohol-Free Sommelier on your favourite podcast platform. I'm Chrissy Parkinson. Goodbye from me and whatever your drink, drink well. <laughs>